With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I need a signature way to start this show. I don't have one. I have routine ways to do almost everything else on this show, but start it, whatever. Working on it. At the top of the show, I usually tell the story of the moment we're discussing so everyone is familiar with what happened. But today, we told that story with my guest, a very funny WGA late night writer, inside the episode. My plan was to use this show open space to talk about my Lakers in the NBA Finals. But, you know, things happened. You didn't ask, but I'm never wrong. Hashtag not always right, but never wrong. I'll tell you what the Lakers should do. Run it back. Continuity is worth something. Look no further than Miami and Denver. We're, we're in this sort of area where no one stays with their team any longer than they need to, but that doesn't devalue continuity. It matters, particularly in basketball. Reeves was in a new role. He's brand new. Same for Vando and Rui. Bring them back. Try to plus up the deal spot, but don't go crazy. And don't let him walk for nothing. Resign him and trade him if you have to. Maybe you can get Chris Paul to take that 2020 Rajon Rondo role. And if he's healthy for the playoffs, I'm not sure you're going to have a better option of point guard. Run it back. Not sure next year's Lakers will be better than this Nuggets team, but it's hard to win back-to-back. So maybe the Lakers just need to survive. One last run for LeBron. Let's go. One last thing. I say we're all we got on this show a lot, and I mean it. It's always the rich versus the poor. We got to help each other out. I appreciate your help in listening to the show, and I appreciate you telling somebody else about it. And I can't say this loud enough. I support the writer strike. I am in the WGA. I stand with them. I'm sending you all my love. Jason Concepcion, Josiah Johnson, Nick Weiger, John Gabris, Sean O'Connor, Michael Starbury, David Stassen, Roy Wood Jr., Allison Agassi, Georgia Nagnostakos, Chloe Hilliard, Niles Abstin, a ton of guests on this show, all WGA writers. I'm thinking about you. I support you. This show supports you. We're all we got. All right, let's go. Jan Vandeveld, world-class meltdown, another great guest. Let's get into it. This is First Ballot. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Neil, the podcast Jordan Clarkson, the SoundCloud Randall Cunningham, coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Office Depot, Big and Tall Executive Suite desk chair in my basement. Today's episode of the First Ballot Hall of Fame podcast could be sponsored by, could be sponsored by Chef Boy RD Beefaroni. I had a ton of beefaroni as a kid. Did you eat it? Did you guys eat it? Our guest. You can't really talk yet, so you got to keep it tight here. Did you eat Chef Boyardee as a kid? Definitely Chef Boyardee, uh, for sure. The um, is Chef Boyardee SpaghettiOs or no? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, and I think so. Then a ton of it. Yeah, yeah. Meat in a can was always weird for me. I was just, but I was just, anything with meat, but but it's weird. 
how you now now like i look at it and i go there was beef there was meat like there was meat in that can and then it would sit on your shelf for fucking years yeah i think it always weirded me out a little but but now it for sure weirds me out yeah i wouldn't eat uh, it now but i did then and that's the point if you need canned food go get some chef boyardee why not if you want an advertisement like this let me know i'll say whatever you want the show keeps growing jan vandeveld's 1999 british open meltdown is a great sports moment i'm asking that. that's a question i'm asking and we're gonna answer that question today and whether jan's blunder belongs in the first bout hall of fame and the man who pitched this moment is going to help us. He's a WGA writer, currently on Late Night with Seth Meyers, but he's got a long-storied comedy writing career, including the 75th Golden Globe Awards, the 66th Emmys, the 2013 Guys' Choice Awards, the Jeselnik <laughs> Offensive, the Ellen DeGeneres Show, Cash Cabin, one of the great shows of all time, in my opinion, the Late Show with David Letterman. He was also for you sports fans, an associate producer on Stump the Schwab. It's yeah. the very smart, the joke machine, Mr. Matt Goldage. Oh, boy. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. What an intro. Man, I'm so glad you're striking and could could come on the show. I'm so glad <laughs> I would have done it anyway. <laughs> I, I want you know, on the record, I would have done it anyway. I appreciate it. Uh, no, I'm a, such a huge fan of yours. You're so funny. I just wanted to right out of the gate tell you that you what you do do you know um you know sean o'connor do you know doug perkins yeah sure doug and sean and you are the three guys that made me realize that i'm not a comedy writer i'm like i can't do what they do you guys are so funny and so prolific and you can churn out jokes seemingly so easily i know it's not easy but for you you guys will just turn in pages and pages of jokes and i'm like i can't do that shit it's a it, you basically have to treat it like math homework. It's sort of it's not uh, a creative pursuit at all at that point. It just becomes like uh, throwing as much you know right. as you can against the wall. But Sean is one of the most uh, brilliant and uh, creative guys I know, and I'm ha- I'm proud to say that he he looks up to me because he uh, on his very first night in New York City he went to two comedy shows mm. and uh, stand up shows, and I was on both of them. <laughs> And so he was under the impression that I was the most famous, successful comedian <laughs> in New York City, even though that was probably one of the only nights I ever got booked on two comedy shows in my whole uh, career. So, but, you know, for him, he, that always uh, sticks in his mind. Did you always want to be a stand-up? Did you always want to be a comedy? No, I always wanted to be in comedy and I always wanted to be in entertainment. Um, and I when, when did you know that? I would say college. It never really occurred to me that anyone else wouldn't. Is that a weird thing to say? Like I, think I so. yeah, that's weird. Even going into, I was a page at NBC, my first um, job out of college, and I was so surprised when I found out like there were people that just were using this to leap into like corporate uh, America, right. and right. I was like, why wouldn't everybody want the Conan assignment? Why wouldn't right. everybody want this the SNL assignment? Right. Like I did, it didn't even occur to me. So I definitely knew, you know, in college, I was interested in comedy. I auditioned for the sketch comedy group, got rejected, auditioned for the improv comedy group, got rejected. I was like, why don't we try stand up? So I, I put out flyers and, and I uh, recruited a bunch of kids uh, who wanted to do stand up on campus. And uh, I um, we started putting on stand up shows. That's that's lovely. 
what uh were you a kid then like watching tv like longingly going this is what i want to do like were you telling jokes into a hairbrush to your parents like not did it all jokes but definitely watching a lot of comedy but yeah. but you know what's funny is i think that as a kid when you think oh i'm i want to i want to be in the center of things and i want to be on camera and i like you know one of the especially as a sports fan, one of the first things that comes to mind is like, oh, I should be a sports broadcaster. Right, right. Um, and so that was even more of a thing for me as a young kid. And you um, uh, in high school were a sports announcer uh, and your high school team was good. And there was a very famous player who played uh, on your high school team. That's who true. We love here at the show. Who was it? That that was John Salmons. I just told another. I just told, I just told the story on another podcast. But I uh, so I apologize for repeating myself. But I was normally I did sidelines. We had a school TV station. We were very lucky. I, I normally I do the sideline announcing. But for the semifinals of the state championship, I somebody was out or something, and I got upgraded with my best friend. And I was doing color commentary when John hit the game winning shot to Amazing. send us to the uh, state championship. Uh, and then I had to miss the state championship game because I was, it was my first night working at a supermarket. You so, fucking nerd. Um, what are you yeah, doing? I know. <laughs> Is that something? Know. It's at age 17. I mean, at least I did not have the wherewithal to understand like, oh, this is more important than, yeah. um, yeah. Why is John Salmon's a favorite of yours? I'm just curious. Uh, John, we were discussing, I think it, maybe it was a Derek Rose moment. And you know, when we're discussing these sports moment, I'm looking for anything that might add to the moment. Like th that's yeah. how difficult it is to get into the first Bell hall of fame. You, I need every little thing might help or hurt. Yeah. And I think with the Derrick Rose moment, it ended up being like John Salmons' best game of his career. And yeah. to me, John Salmons fits into that pocket of, in part because of his name, because I like that it's, yeah. you know, Salmons, but it said Salmons. Yeah. I, uh, and then in part because he's like, just like you have, if you love NBA, you've for sure heard of John Salmons. Yeah. You probably don't remember what teams he played for. You certainly don't remember any games. They don't really like stick out. So that it's like a like a peculiar, interesting, random player's best game to me is additive to a moment. So I, I appreciate John Salmons here at the show. Yeah. He hung around for a long time in the long NBA. Time. He played for a long he had a long career. If John Salmon sees you walking down the street today, does he recognize you? Does he say, hey, Matt, hey, hey, I know, did you, does he, does he do that or he has no clue who Matt Goldich is? I'm going to guess no. I'm going to guess that he has no idea who right. I am. But if I, but I think if I told him who I was or if I explained, yes, I think within 10 good. seconds he would, he would remember. And say, That's perfect. Um, Matt, before we dive into our moment, table set for me, what is your favorite sport, your favorite team and your favorite athlete of all time? Uh, sadly, I almost feel like I have to apologize for this. It's, it's a certain way, but my favorite sport, I would say pretty, a pretty strong. Number one is football. I, I, I don't know. It's weird being the most popular sport in America by far that I feel I need to apologize for it, but there's so many problems with it. It's so problematic, but I, I, I cannot turn away. I, I'm for sure an Eagles fan. It's the team that I follow more than anything. It's the one where I think as a grown-up with kids, there's something about a season that only has a certain number of games right. and a right. game once a week and committing yes. to that that just yes. makes it so much easier as an adult to live yes. your life and be a fan. Yes. Yes. Um, my favorite athlete, if I had to name a Philadelphia favorite Philadelphia athlete, 
it's tough because the when you're 13, that's sort of when you crystallize your that's sports right. So the 93 Phillies as a team, I loved. But there was nobody like Iverson in terms of how he changed the game. And he was like a full-on, like, one of us, you know, where it's yes, like us against right. the world. Yes. Like, we love him. You hate him. Uh, <laughs> he's, you know... I mean, in terms of how he revolutionized basketball, I mean, both culturally and the game. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible. And that was it. That that championship run was unbelievable. So I'll, I will always have an affection for him. And Iverson is the type of dude who, uh, if I were like, if it would be cool to say that Allen Iverson was my favorite player. That sounds like a great thing to be able to say and to say it authentically because you either, you know, from Virginia you know, went to Georgetown yeah. or, or a Philly guy. Uh, that, that seems like it would be a blast. Um, and I've, and Alan Iverson is another guy who I've almost, I've almost completely effectively erased his uh, Grizzlies and Pistons and yeah. Nuggets from my brain. I, it never occurs to me that those, like I think about Ewing and Olajuwon playing on their teams more than I think about Iverson leaving Philly. He's always a Philly guy. Never happened. Never happened. Never yeah. happened. Uh, so you football is a favorite sport of yours. I understand your 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 sort of want to apologize for it. Um, it is I'm the, I'm the same way with boxing. My dad showed me boxing when I was a kid, and he got so excited by it that I got so excited by it, and now I love the sport. And anytime I think about two guys um, beating, you know, literally beating their brains out, it's kind of sad. Uh, anyhow, let's just get past that. You love football, then why are we talking about golf? Why are we talking about okay. this today? What this is, is can a, you this explain a, this? Are you a golfer? Get, this give is me a your great, and I want you to know, Matt, I'm coming at this from with an open heart. Right. I want to be convinced by the end of this. I would love nothing more than to be convinced uh, at the end of this that this moment is a Hall of Famer. Go ahead. Okay. Number one, talk about problematic sports. I mean, on the complete other end of the spectrum, I mean, you've got golf, which is like the most privileged uh yes. sort of there's so many problems with golf uh both from like the fact that like 99% of these guys are like hardcore like right wing conservatives it, it's terrible for like the environment it's like it's terrible you know i mean you've got you know it's basically rich privileged people you know you've got the whole live golf thing i mean there's nothing good about golf all the best <laughs> guys at it are awful um now that said um i loved golf for a, for a extended period of time it started my my brothers i have two younger brothers and sometime around we used to go play at this place this called this course outside of near where i grew up called woody's and we first we used to play they had a mini golf course and they had what's called a pitch and putt which is like nine holes and all the hole and then they had a par three course that we started to play when i was in high school and that got us into golf and it got my brothers into golf. It got my dad into golf. And eventually, we, when I was in high school, we started watching more golf. And then Tiger Woods blows up in 97. So I'm a yeah. senior in high school. And that's when golf becomes like cool and huge. And it's like a can't miss event. So the moment we're going to talk about right now is right in the wheelhouse of when I was right. really into golf. Right. I was playing golf for sure, but terrible at it. Not in any sort of like successful or like you know um you know i'm but definitely playing a lot on the weekends in high school and and in college and i um i would say i stayed really a fan of golf for like a decade from you know from tiger until like 2007 i can remember specifically 
There was only one tourney, that I think, where it was Tiger and Phil Mickelson ever like in a playoff or dueling for the the lead. They only ever really faced off once. It was, I think, it was the two thousand five. I want to say Masters, and I was actually supposed to. I had broken up with this girl and I was supposed to go pick up some of my stuff from her. And I was late because I was watching that tournament and uh, it did not go, that did not go over well. That was bad. That was an immature decision. Um, But we're going to talk about 99, which is really a time when uh, even, even being in college and even having a lot of other going on, like if there was a major golf tournament going on, I was probably watching the final. Wow. Um, yeah. So were you watching this moment live when it happened? I was so I. I that's but, amazing. I've never watched golf live, ever. Well, okay. This is this is um, for sure. I remember where I was. I remember waking up, and and it's so funny to think there was a time in my life when I would wake up at eleven a.m. or noon. Considering, I mean, you having kids, you know, like I even when my kids are, not, I'm not with my kids. I never sleep past like eight o'clock in the morning. Right. Right. So. But I remember waking up late, rolling out of bed, and being like, let me turn on the British Open and see what's going on. And in my recollection, the 18th hole was about to start. But again, I may have seen a few holes before that. Amazing. And um, I don't know. I have, Tiger, from what I – now, I watched a little bit of the clip, but it seemed like he was maybe somewhere low, a little bit lower down on the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether like a ton of people were – whether this was like a hugely – viewed event i think it was because tiger was playing in that round and i think it was a time when a lot of people were watching golf but i and i and i i think the british open is pretty popular but i but i remember it being a huge story at the time and i might i might be wrong i uh i i i I just again i want to be clear despite having never watched golf live ever in my life I understand that it's a thing. It, golfing seems like th- doing it again. Let's remove the 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 right wing nuts and the yeah. terrible, terrible uh, environmental uh, uh, ramifications and the uh, displacing of homeless people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just put all those things aside. Yeah. The uh, playing golf seems like a lovely way to spend a day. I've played it once. I was in a you know best man groomsman thing, and we played once. But uh, uh, you're, so you're, the idea of no, you're basically wrong. It's basically a horrible way to spend a day. It's so boring. It's so long. It's such an investment of time. If you have any other like obligations, it's the worst. And it's and you're and it's you're so bad at it. I mean, but you maybe get one good shot and you're like, oh, and now I want to play for another like another next Sunday for six hours. Um, and it's such a it's such a boring sport to watch. I don't know how I did it. I could see watching it now with my phone and sort of like half watching it and half looking at something else. The idea that I would sit there and watch golf, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I, but I am surprised that you never like got into like when tiger was at his peak, like, like, Oh, I got to throw on like the never. Like I knew, like I knew that masters thing was happening. I remember hearing people talking about, I was watching sports center at the time. So like, I knew it was happening. I knew he was a monster, Yeah. but I just never cared. He really was a monster, but that's right. right, right. My, my old man just didn't play it. Like my old man was from the Philippines and, and you're, you're very white. And that might come down to just that. We got into it later. Yeah. My dad got into it through us, but that's, yes. Uh, yeah, so I just never watched, but again, it's 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 with. What about I'm with. Sting? What's we'll say no, again? 
V VJ Singh. Oh, I, think, <laughs> I think he was from Fuji, though. So I'm I'm you, similar you, part of the world. Part of the world. <laughs> I I want I'm interested in this. I enjoyed researching this. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. But again, I I uh, was curious um, about picking this, and I appreciate it because to me, it's it's discussing moments like this that helps further define the first Bell Hall of Fame. Uh, let's dive into this to judge whether this Jan Vandeveld uh, 1999 British Open collapse goes into the first Bell Hall of Fame. We have to go through our Hall of Fame credentials. Those are the categories by which we judge our moment. The first credential today is actually going to be a new one. It's, I'm, I'm calling it the crime scene. I usually tell a story at the top of every episode about what happened in our moment, but I have a bunch of questions about what happened. Uh, and I'm going to count on you, Matt, to sort of be my de facto golf expert. We're going to recreate the scene of the crime here. This is part ear test. I'm going to play some clips. It's part burning questions. I'm going to have a bunch of questions that I'm going to ask Matt to sort of help me figure out how, how golf works and what happened okay. uh, in this moment. Uh, let me set the scene for you here. Jan van de Velde, French golfer, great name, French golfer. He's won once in his 10-year golf career at this point, 1999 British Open. He's winning the British Open. He uh, That's one of golf's major events, championships. I can't believe I knew that, but I did know that. I Googled it to make sure, but I was right. One of its majors. Van de Velde is up three shots going into the eighth, 18th hole, last yeah. hole, last round. Uh, he needs a six. I don't know how any of this stuff works. So, like, if you're listening to this and you don't know golf and you're like, he's up three, but he needs a six to win, just let's just go with it. Yeah. Let's just go with that. It means, essentially, if he hits the ball in the hole within six strokes, he, if he hits it six times and then it gets in the hole within six times, he wins the whole thing, correct? He needs a, uh, he needs a, a double bogey, a six on a par four. So he really... Right. All he has to do is play it like the most conservative possible. Right. Right. Just use the the shortest club Perfect. and hit it right, at, you know, down the fairway. Don't try to hit it far, and he will. He will. He will win. He's basically clinched it. Let me play a clip for you. This is the announcers, and I don't know. I think his name was Peter Alice. Peter Alice. B yeah. Peter Alice, BBC announcer. Um, this is what Peter and his partner, who I don't know, who do you know who Peter's partner is? I, I don't know that one. I know Peter okay. Alice for sure. Great names, uh, great voices rather on these dudes. Uh, I really appreciate having their, their audio here to sort of help score this and, and set the scene here. This is what Peter Alice says just before Jan Vandeveld hits on the 18th hole. He's out with a driver now. Now I'm not sure this is right. Peter Alice. Anytime you hear like a little tiny little soft uh oh, I think that's a bad that's a bad sign if you've heard that in a, in a sporting event. Peter, Peter, I mean the the dry deadpan British thing is not something you get in America. And then I think if if I'm correct, I think he's doing this. I mean, there are other reporters out on the course, but in terms of the main booth, I think mm -hmm. he's doing this Vince Scully style, like all oh. by himself, where he is basically the one guy who is running the show. And it, I mean, he is, you know, he sort of sets up the scene perfectly where he's like, you know, that this is easy, that he's basically got it wrapped up, you know, and then he, um, 
Yeah, his little like, oh man. And then at the end of this clip, that clip when he says, oh, okay, good. All right, he'll be fine. Thank God he got he got really lucky there, which is, <laughs> you know, you're like, okay, like even though that's how much that's how much wiggle room Vanderbilt had, even though that was bad, he's still going to be fine. Right. The, 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 I understand that, uh, again, I'm only through research. Do I know this, that, uh, using the driver there, as you said earlier at the top, you could just play this thing safe. You don't have yeah. to hit your driver and try to get it as close to the hole as possible. You can just play this thing safe and don't screw up. The fact that he hit that driver, the fact that it was, it was almost an oh moment, but ended up being safe. It's like sort of a fun way for, the, for this whole yeah. uh, uh, thing to start. Uh, the one thing I wanted to mention here, and you sort of started speaking to it, the thing that, again, having never watched golf live, and I, I've still not watched golf live, but having watched this moment, the thing that I sort of really appreciated from this show's perspective is there's so much time in golf. So the announcers really have time to like dive into these moments. Yeah. They're really filling time. They can really editorialize. They can really like add little tidbits and anecdotes and, yeah. and say things in a certain way. The, the time in this and the, the the space that the announcers have really is helpful for a show like this one. It, it's very similar to how baseball was until a month right. ago. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> Great point. Here is Peter just before Vandeveld's second shot. Trouble on the right, out of bounds on the left, water in front. And there's no point in him flashing it at the green, but I think he might be. He is. I mean, they're they're instant. I mean, from the jump, he's like, "Oh, I don't, I don't, no real reason to use the driver, but here he goes." And th and then, and then the next shot, they're like, I, "There's this problem. There's this problem. I don't know why the guy's doing this, but here he goes." They're like, they're instantly yeah. questioning this guy from the gate. No, and at some point in here, Peter Alice starts taking. I don't know if it was before this or after this. He starts taking like kind of veiled shots at the French, <laughs> um, which is just such a great little wrinkle because, I mean, there's never been a good French golfer, by the way, and so he has a chance to do this for like I think right. 1907. Some French golfer won a major, Funny. but there's never been a French guy. So he's really doing this for his country yes. and everything That's and he's funny. and he's choking and peter al says like oh the french they always make it interesting or something like that <laughs> it's, it's like his way of saying like oh this guy's fucking overwhelmed <laughs> it's but, so uh, funny that he's representative of an entire country here that's that's definitely additive yeah yeah so and 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 i was wondering like what you think about like pressure because obviously like there's this theory that people they choke under pressure or like, oh, this is a, his chance to win his first major. It's by far the biggest thing ever in his career. And he basically completely lose. But but you would think, right, like he would start to realize that pressure before the 18th hole. For sure. He was feeling it. And and he seemed to be doing fine up until this. So he, he seems on. I mean, I downloaded the entire uh, yeah. last round. Uh, yeah. It's like some like five hour YouTube clip. Yeah. And watched it. Uh, he seems pretty unflappable. Yeah, I mean, he seems very he, like a very cool customer. Again, I don't know him. It's my yeah. goddamn first time ever watching golf, so I I'm the last person to ask about this type of thing. But you're right in that go golf takes so long, and you think if the pressure was going to get to you, it would have already gotten to you. And if you're at the 18th hole and you're winning, yeah, 
to me, you've vanquished the pressure. You've yeah. really handled it quite well over 17 holes prior to this, over hours yeah. worth of time. I, you've acquitted yourself very well. So in my head, I'm like, how much of this was pressure and how much of it was him just getting loose? Like, I, I, I might go the other way and go, was he too cocky was he feeling yes. himself was he like i'm on a goddamn roll i'm going yeah. right for the pin like who gives a shit about what right. i should do i'm just going for it i think you're right yeah and honestly that it sort of makes and we're going to bring this up later that makes me kind of go i like this guy i like yeah. that he's got the guts to do if that you've never won another or if you've never if you were not somebody who's won a ton of golf tournaments if you're not somebody who's been in the position of like oh i'm three shots ahead going into the last hole you may not have that other gear of like yeah. oh all i need is a bogey right. to win. Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. may just be like oh i have to go full throttle right did you did you see there was a recent um lakers playoff game where a kid goes out to shoot like the you know on the court He's got to he's got to make however many baskets in thirty seconds or whatever to win a fucking car or some shit, and if he loses it, he gets like a fucking Lakers drawstring bag and like a you know a, a fucking a, a, a gift certificate to some Los Angeles restaurant. Yeah, uh, he goes out on the court and the the woman like clearly establishes what he has to do, and they're she's like, "Are you ready?" And he's like, "I'm born ready." And then they give him the ball and he takes the ball and he hypes up the crowd. He's turning to the crowd and like throwing his arms up in the air, like get louder, get louder, get louder. And the woman is like, all right, the clock has started. And the kid is just going, get loud, get loud, get loud. And like, it becomes comical because the woman starts going, oh, you're only 20 seconds now. And the kid just keeps doing, he keeps gesturing to the audience and he just keeps hyping everything up. And then like five seconds left, he takes his first shot, misses it. The horn goes off and the woman starts laughing because it's funny. And everybody posted online, like, isn't this funny? And I go, now, hold on a second. If this was this kid's plan to be like, who gives a shit about this thing? Yeah. I'm just going to get a bunch of attention. I'm going to say this cool thing like I was born ready and then get a bunch of attention and get people cheering for me. And then I'm going to walk off and take my fucking drawstring bag and my $20 gift certificate to yeah. fucking Zanku Chicken. I go, that's fucking super yeah. great and awesome. And I love this guy. And in a way, if John Vandeveld goes, I don't care what happens. Yeah. I'm going for this thing. And if I go down, I'm going down in a blaze of glory. Like that's that like the movie. Like yeah, yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jean Vandeveld's plan was to become the mo uh, one of the most famous golf meltdowns in history. Then he succeeded. Nailed sure. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first drive, uh, you know, almost uh, is trouble. The, his second shot bangs off of the grandstand where people are sitting and bounces back into some high grass. The other thing that I think is interesting as you consider a golf moment like this is he's done this exact thing. He's played. This isn't like the first time he's been on this hole. He's yeah. played this hole multiple times, including yeah. multiple times in the days leading up to this thing. Yeah. He's done this three or four times. Right. That to me is sort of a fascinating thing that it's, he, this dude has done this, him banging that into the grandstand and he bouncing back into the rough. Uh, that shit's on him. Like he's been through this. This is really the key shot, I think, because once he gets it into the tall grass, it's sort of like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right. And once you're in the tall grass, a million other things can go wrong. It's sort of, and that's, I think, if I'm correct, like a pretty uniquely Brit English golf thing. Like I think in in U.S. American golf, we don't really have those like huge like fields of right where it's like if you hit it into something like that, you'd be out of bounds. Which, by the way. Right. 
at this point, he would have been better off just like taking a one shot penalty and putting taking a drop somewhere else if that was not. How does that work? That's one of my questions. So if he 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 bangs this thing off the grandstand, it goes into the high rough. It landed. Let's say it had landed in like an out of bounds, like unplayable lie. He would have just like putting it, taking a one shot penalty, and then taking his fourth shot from like the nearest playable lie. I mean, the golf rules are so complicated, and I'm 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 simplifying them way too much, but. You know, at a certain point, you'd think like, oh, it's his fourth shot. He's He only has three more left. But three from an easy lie versus like right. four from this like tall grass where he, I mean, now we're about to know, know what happened. So hindsight's twenty twenty. But I mean, he, he, it's hard. It's hard to hit from something like that because you can't predict where the ball is going to go when you're hitting. Right. It. Yeah. I heard uh, an announcer say uh, in retrospect, looking back that if the ball had had stayed in the grandstand, like if it hadn't thwacked off of the grandstand yeah. and, and and flown back into the high grass, if it had stayed in the grandstand, he could have just dropped it and taken the penalty or yeah, something. Would have been or a better, it would have been a much better, yeah. So, so wait, so you can go like, and again, I'm, we're simplifying things here. Can you go, okay, here's where the grandstand is, and this is where the ball is now sitting in the grandstand because it didn't thwack off and bounce back in. It's in the grandstand, so I get to take it 10 feet away and drop it basically I think as long 10 as you're feet. not closer to the hole i think got that's it. interesting yeah. got it okay that's good see i don't know any of this stuff so if you like hit this. it in, for instance if you hit it into water in golf you you then take a one shot penalty and you place it behind the water behind, behind the, the water got yeah. it okay this is good all right here is peter alice before vandeveld's third shot so where is he going now he's going out left to the front of the green yeah it must be I don't believe it. This is. Oh dear, this is really. This is so, 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 so sad. <laughs> and so unnecessary. Well, we've seen a few miscues and mishaps in our golfing careers, but. Oh, Jean, Jean, Jean. Your thoughts here, Matt. The best. I mean, he's just the best. You know, the fact that he and the fact that they start to feel bad for him is, yes, is great. So because good. He, you know, to, he is a professional athlete, but he was a, a not not a well known guy before this. So right. I think And to clarify, the ball goes into the water here. Yes, the ball goes into the water <laughs> and it's sort of like gently peeking out. You can see it's a weird, it must be like a muddy water right, because you can right. actually see a little bit of the ball yes. coming out of the water. Um, and again, you know, at this point, you know, he's hit three. So his next shot will be his fifth shot from behind the water. So, uh, I yeah, so and so he would, so at this point, that's where you sort of realize, oh, like, oh, once he takes the drop, he has to, he only has two more shots and he's, he's, he's fucked. I mean, he's not going to. He's, you know, he had it so easy and he's blown all of that. The, the Britishness of his voice is such an additive. It's like so delightful to listen to him. And that in particular, that yon, 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 yon. That is so good at the end of that bite. Um, It's lovely. It's like a lovely little soft lilting little thing that really colors this moment. I really love how it started off questioning, even before this shot, they're questioning him again at every turn. And then it's turned to just sympathy and I feel bad. 
And again, the time to be able to add all of this stuff is fantastic. Right. Uh, this is really great. Here, this is clip four. This is the next clip. This is uh, this is this is when it really starts to this get. This is good the here. iconic moment. Yes. Yeah. The the ball is in the water. Here is what Peter Alice has to say. Well, I have no idea where he's going off to now because he's he's just going to have a walk around and have a look at the shot. What he's got left, but. He's, he's surely not going to go and climb down in there and try to whack it out of there. No, no, that would be, that would be, that would be totally ridiculous. Now, what are you doing? <laughs> what on earth are you doing? No, Jean, please. Would somebody kindly let's go and stop him? Give him a large brandy and mop him down. <laughs> really, really good. There's there's so many things that when he starts to take his shoes and socks off oh. and roll up his pants and get in the water, there's so many thoughts that go through your mind, which is like, number one, like, for me, I'm like, you know, you can't hit the ball out of the water. Like, there's no way that's going to work. <laughs> and then number two, just the the pure discomfort of imagining, like, I have to be... I have to, I'm going to be barefoot and then I'm going to get Ugh. in this gross water and Ugh. then I'm going to play the rest of my round. I'm going to like put my socks and shoes back on and somehow like, like, you know, continue with my day. Like, I don't want to get in that water under any circumstances. It's so funny. Um, but the fact that he's like climbing in and then when, and then, you know, later when you see him climb out, you see it's a pretty steep climb out of the yes. water. Like there's definitely yes. like, I would be in my head like, what if I trip going back in the right. water and I fall on my ass and I'm just soaking wet? Yes. You know, like it's. He's really, he, he, you're, there's a bit of scaling. He has to like scale this little brick wall. And with wet feet, you've got to be questioning does my foot slip off this thing? Do I end up banging my chin on this wall and then I'm cut and I'm bleeding? Like how much dumber am I willing to look for this thing? And again, I want to say in defense of this Frenchman, his him going, fuck it, I'll take a look. I, I kind of love that. I kind of yeah. love that he's like, I love the wrestling match in that clip that we just heard between the announcer going, now what is this guy doing? Yeah. Now hold on a second. And like really taking a moment. And the audience going, do it. Do yeah. it. I love that vibe. And I like that Vandeveld at yeah. least goes, I'm going to take a look. He seems kind of fearless about it all. And I kind of love that. And when you think about like where his life has gone in the last 15 minutes from like basically like having clinched the British Open to then like taking his shoes and socks off and <laughs> falling into the water. Like it's such a steep descent. It's really <laughs> It's uh there's in my head, it's like anytime an athlete during competition takes off his shoes and socks. Yeah. I think you you've got yourself a moment to consider for the first ball. Yeah. He ended, he had to towel his feet off. He didn't just lose yeah. this thing. And I mean, I'm jumping ahead here. He didn't just lose this on national television. He had to show his feet, yeah. like his feet are on national television. Like yeah. he, I love that. He didn't like stop and go now, hold on. What am I doing? He yeah. just went full bore after this. I have always said the worst thing that could happen in life is to be murdered nude in front of a group of people because yeah. it's, you're not just being murdered. Uh, people are watching it. So they feel terrible for you. And then you're also naked and everything's like flopping yeah. around and you don't feel great. Like it's in a way that's this, the golf version of this is this guy. 
is slowly dying in front of her eyes. And then he also takes off his shoes and shows us his feet. Think about Kurt Schilling, his bloody sock, and the lengths he went to to not show us his bare feet, you know? (laughs) It's... The, the things people, you know, it's incredible. The likes people will go to. Not for the day. And, and he did it. Oh, that's really good. Uh, here, this is another great bite from Peter Ellis. This is um, right after the ball gets hit in the water. So, again, terrible first shot. Risky first shot. Barely makes it. Then he bangs it off of a, of a, of a bleacher. Bounces into a rough spot. Then he whacks it into the water. And production starts cutting to his wife's face. Yeah, yeah. Do you have thoughts on, I mean, my God, of all the indignity to not just be having this in being in the midst of this collapse, you've whacked it in the water. And then the production, the show, the broadcast starts showing your wife. And she's kind of just like laughing in disbelief. She kind of can't really believe that this is happening. Well, here's Peter Alice uh, as they show Vanderbilt's. I don't know. I don't know whether she's laughing or she's become hysterical because I'm not sure what I'm going to do either. Very good line. Very good line. Yeah. I like this Peter Ellis guy. Um, do you, does your wife think you're funny? Does she <laughs> watch anything that you do? Because my wife, it's become apparent to me that I don't think my wife thinks I'm all that funny. Um, I do think she thinks that I am capable of being funny. Yes. <laughs> Be honest with me and tell me what, um, uh, what when I'm funny and when I'm not funny. Right. She's almost on both ends. Right. Yeah. I saw a tweet of yours, you in the hospital, your wife is in labor with one of your children, and uh, it's one thirty in the morning, and there's a little television show that you write on, and you're not, it's not just your show, you're on the television screen. Yeah. That really happened? That really happened. I was, we, we were um, going in to have the baby, and we were in the waiting room at one in the morning, and, and late night Seth Meyers happened to be on the TV in the waiting room. And I, not only that, it was a rerun. It was the one that I was on and at one 30 in the morning and no, there were multiple other people in this waiting room. Nobody noticed that uh, I was on TV, like right above us. It was pretty, it was pretty wild. Yeah. But I someone mean, we took a picture there. of you. Who took a picture of you in front of the screen? My wife did, I believe. Oh my God. Was That's so, I was yeah. just going to ask, how did she react to you going, get a picture of me while you're she thought it was her- funny. She was able to see it. <laughs> what a good woman. Yeah. Um, he, here's the next clip. This is really, it's really ramping up here. Peter Alice again, once more. This this really is beyond a joke now. He's, he's, he's gone gaga because this is, uh, <laughs> this is quite, I've never seen anything like it before and to attempt to hit the ball out of there is pure madness because he could hit the wall, go back in, the ball could hit him, he could end up not finishing in the top 20. Well, he's thinking about it, but this is horrendous stuff, Alex. Uh, this is a total mistake. This could be one of the saddest uh, moments in sport. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's really considering, he's really giving, and I'm, as I'm watching it, I'm like, just do it. Because again, you've suggested this moment to me and I, I don't know what's going to happen. I obviously I know he's in the midst of a meltdown, but I'm like, oh, my God, it would be so great if he tries to whack at this ball in the water. Yeah, but it's like you can tell it's not going to work. I mean, (laughs) you know, just even put yourself outside of everything that's happened so far. Let's say he hit his 
you know, he's doing okay. He hit his first shot. Like, you know, like hitting a ball that's like this much out of the water is not going to go where you want it to go. And there's a, that, that hill that he, he had to tra- travail to get down into the water. It's in right in front of him. There's like a tiny little mini wall in front of him. So uh, it really, really challenging. The American announcers on the American broadcast, not as kind as the BBC folks hears them. You hate to be harsh on somebody, but this is one of the most stupid things I've ever seen in my life. I have to be honest. I love, I love like people, I love like experts being frank like that. Like it's really coloring what this guy is in the middle of. And he's just, I mean, he seems pretty brazen about it. I really appreciate you. Yeah. You don't watch a lot of golf. It's a very polite sport. And this is very out of character. So you can tell how crazy. Right. So he, he puts the, so he has to, he takes the ball out of the water. He puts it in on what what it's like in a playable surface behind the water is that what you said yep. that was? okay yeah for his uh fourth fifth, you know it's now well now it's his fifth shot because he has to take a drop penalty so, got yeah. it okay yeah. so uh this is the sound of the audience yeah as vandeveld takes his fourth stroke but it's again his fifth, yeah, his fifth uh, shot fifth, yeah, yeah. A real roller coaster there because, of yeah. course, on the next shot, Vandeveld whacks it right into a sand trap. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so now he needs to, I believe, so he's at five. So now he, he he's pat, he's not even thinking about winning the tournament outright. He has to actually get up and down in two shots from the sand trap just to tie and just to make the playoff. Yeah. What does up and down mean? That's another Up question. and down means two shots, uh, you know, from Got off it. the green, onto the green, and then into the hole. In Got two it. Shots. Yeah. Got it. Yes. So, yeah, now at this point, he's uh, just got to do this to not lose here outright at the end of this yeah. tournament. Fantastic. The other thing that's interesting is, and again, uh, I mean, I knew I knew this about golf, but watching it is sort of crystallized. There's a guy he's with. What do you call the other golfer you're golfing with? What is he? His playing partner. Playing and partner. That's, that's the other thing. So they determine the order of the by by the how people uh, where they are uh, the day before. So he's playing with the guy who him and this guy were in first and second place going into the day. And this Got guy it. is clearly Craig Perry, I think it is. He's yes. plummeted yep. as the day has gone along, but he still has to keep playing. Right. And they still have to keep showing him and going back to him. Right. Even though he's completely out of contention in the tournament. And all, and then the other thing about golf is that, and this happens when you're playing golf with your buddies or whatever, the person who's furthest from the hole hits. Right. So, you know, basically, Vanderbilt's hitting like three, four shots in a row. He's on his like sixth shot, and then it's like, okay, time for Craig Perry to hit his third <laughs> shot, and he knocks it in, right? Yes, that's yeah. and that that was exactly what we're leading to is Perry is also in the sand trap right next to Vanderbilt's ball, yeah. so Perry is about to take the shot that Vanderbilt will have to follow, and yeah. Vanderbilt hits the thing out of the sand, and it goes right in the hole. Yeah, yeah, or pa- Craig Perry does. Yeah, Craig Perry, yeah. sorry, part. Yeah, yeah no, Craig and Perry. that's um, yeah, that it's it's wild, and so it just adds like another layer of kind of like weirdness to this whole thing. Yeah. It's sort of like a crazy horse shot when like you're playing yeah. horse against someone and they make some crazy shot and then they toss the ball to you and go go ahead and you're yeah. like shit like you feel that pressure of this yeah. guy just made this thing right in front of me that I have to do. 
that's a fascinating to me. That's when the pressure like really right. Uh, and and up. the other thing you is like, let's say Craig Parry is out of the tournament. I'm just saying hypothetically, like right. let's say this that shot is the difference between him finishing and like you know ninth place or thirteenth place. You know that could be like five digits worth of cash, right. you know, or six yes. digits worth, oh. you know, in terms of, so that's a big shot for him, even though he's out of the tournament, you know? Um, Vanneveld does get it out of the trap. It doesn't go in the hole, but he does end up uh, hitting a nice putt to sinking a nice putt rather, I believe is the terminology. Yeah. Sinking a nice putt to make the playoff. It's actually an unbelievable recovery. The fact that he, that he recovers from all this insanity yes. to get out of the thing. And then, I mean, putting is really all about nerves and it's all about keeping your body calm and, and not, and so the fact for him after all that to sink like a pretty, like, like not, it's not a gimme of a putt. It's a right. putt that's like, you know, and he, he, he sinks it after all that, you know, yeah, and then he, he's, he's fired up. Yeah. He takes, <laughs> he has a little moment where he's like all fired up and like, I, I saved yeah. this thing. He, I, he's a really interesting guy. He seems like I would love to talk to him about this, to have like a long conversation about this moment, really dig into it with him. Uh, because yeah, he doesn't react any of the ways I expect him to. Like the second that thing goes in the sand and he's like, then the guy in front of him makes it. And it's like, I here, this is exactly what you need to do. And I just did it. It's sort of fascinating to watch him, um, not be shitty at that point when I would yeah. assume that it was at its highest as these things are sort of, as these issues are sort of piling on top of each other. Um, he, they go, end up going off to finish the story. They end up going off into a three or four hole playoff, and uh, Vanneveld loses, or he finishes third. The, the three yeah. other dudes go, Justin Leonard and the guy who ends up winning, whose name escapes me. Paul, it's like Paul Lowry. He's a Scottish guy who also is not like a well-known. Yes. Um, Justin Leonard was like a pretty well-known yes. U.S. golfer. But yeah, I don't, I don't remember or actually know what happened exactly in the playoff. I know that Paul Lowry won. Um, and I know that um, like Vanneveld ended up like not really doing much of anything after this. Like he, you know, maybe finished second in a couple tournaments, but right. he, if he had ended up going on to have like a great career, he might have like ended up, you know, this would be like, oh, this would be like a funny footnote in his career. But right. no, this is like, this was like the moment that he's most known for by far, which I is very that. sad. Yeah. And and also funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, Matt, can we talk about your job for a second, your career, what you've done? Um, and do you have, I mentioned early on in your intro, you worked for Letterman, which is a show that I love. Uh, and then you also work for cash cab, which is just a fun show to talk about. Any good stories from either of those uh, projects? Letterman was a, was a crazy, uh, I mean, that was, um, <laughs> I, I, again, I just told the story recently on another podcast, but he sort of went on air and talked about his whole scandal that happened. Where he oh, you're there during that. And well, he, he did that on a Thursday and then Friday was a rerun. And then I started the following Monday. Oh, so funny. So, as a monologue writer <laughs> on a day where he sort of told like a famous monologue about all the things, ways he was in trouble. And, Yikes. Uh, yeah, people said to me, um, you know, did you write any of that monologue? I said, no, it was my first day. I didn't write any jokes about, like, the boss's, you know, <laughs> scandal. Um, Crazy. Yeah. Uh, have you – I know – I believe that you have because I believe that I heard this. Uh, have you been fired from a job before? I've been fired from many jobs, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, with the, at the In the business, uh, we call it not getting your contract renewed. But, right. uh, but you know. That has happened a bunch of times, yeah. And I've been lucky enough to survive at my current job for almost nine years. That's um, amazing. Until, amazing. until I went on strike three days ago. 
<laughs> what's been the moment in your career so far that sort of changed things? Was there like a singular moment where you're like, you think back and go, oh yeah, everything was sort of different after this moment? Um, It definitely related to sports in that I did a stand-up show with, a, with I was working on Best Week Ever, mm-hmm. and I did a stand-up show with um, a guy by the name of Bill Sheft, mm-hmm. who was, we were in Washington, D.C. doing a Writers Guild stand-up show, and uh, ironically, and um, he... I we he was on the show and we became friends and I would email him sports I knew he liked sports right. he was kind of a sports nut so we would back and forth email him sports trivia questions for months Funny. and then at one point I decided I was like hey I never I never really do this but I thought of a joke that really would only work for Letterman and so I emailed it to him and he's like well we can't use this but send me some more jokes so I sent him some more jokes and then you know I the spent the friendship was built through sports Ugh. and that was uh that's awesome. you know sort of led to me getting Letterman which really was the job that that changed my career that get even though I only lasted a year and then my contract was not renewed <laughs> uh I did it did give me a lot of credibility I think and it was a great experience and, amazing did you have a um, did you have a funnest job? Did you have a job where you were like, that yes. was a blast and I wish I was My current there. job is probably number one, but yeah. a close number two, I wrote on a show, you know, Joel Solomon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and him were the only writers for a year on this show on Fuse that nobody watched. And we wrote a, basically a what full one hour version of Fuse. It was called The Sauce. It was Fuse's version of TRL. We basically right. we, it was just the two of us, and we wrote the whole show by ourselves every day, an oh hour show. God. And it was, and nobody cared what we <laughs> put on. And it was, it was just, and it was a great staff. It was great people, and we were just like kind of in the trenches together. And starting a show is the most fun. Right, if you, yes. it's the, it, you know, when you're, I mean, you know, because you've worked on stuff. Coming in on something that's already like a humming machine mm. is, I mean, it can be very you know, nice sometimes that they already know. But when you're part of the team that's trying to figure out what something's going to be, there's nothing more exciting than that. It's really fun. Um, I worked on the Jenny Jones show. Have I ever told you that before? No. I worked on, that was my first job out of college was on in, in, in this industry was the Jenny Jones show, which if you don't remember was like Jerry, it was like a Jerry Springer sort of copycat thing. Um, also matter of fact, taped right down the, right down the hall from Jerry Springer. So I've seen all Jerry and the, the bald security guard dude, uh, met all of them, uh, great guys. Uh, I worked on Jenny Jones. Uh, there's a lot of, I feel like I should have a segment on this show where I recount and retell Jenny Jones stories because why wouldn't I, uh, the story I'm going to tell today is I think I've told one other before. I'm sure I'll repeat it at some point, but the one I'm going to tell today is, uh, I remember I was a PA. And so at a certain point, they trusted me to like go do things. And I was like, really, I wanted to be the best. I was like, I'm going to be the best PA. And then I'm going to produce a Jenny Jones and be be- And like, I'm going to live in Chicago the rest of my life and like do television in Chicago. And yeah. so I was a full bore and they sent me out to do stuff. And I remember they sent me to Florida and I would rent a car at the airport and then drive to the worst part of the town that whatever town we were in. And so I drove to a trailer park and I had never been to a trailer park up until that point. And so you drive in the trailer park and you realize that it's not like street streets, like, oh yeah, here's like you, the street, the directions, which again, no, 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 uh, uh, 
Google Maps on your phone at this point. Yeah. I'm looking at paper maps and I get to the trailer park and then you drive in the trailer park and it's just trailers everywhere and you kind of can't find anything. So I finally find the place. And as I find the place, the producer at Jenny Jones goes, um, go in. I'm on the phone. I'm on this like big brick cell phone. And the producer goes, go into their trailer, introduce yourself, and then immediately excuse yourself and step out and call me. And I go, okay, great. And so I knock on the trailer door and the woman opens. And by the way, I'm there to do paternity tests. I'm there to swab her mouth and to swab the mouth of the baby that she has to help her find out who is the father. That's real. And I did it. I'm the one with rubber gloves in a bag and tests. And I'm swabbing the inside of mouths of these people that live in these places. I go in the house. I'm Neil. I'm here to swab your mouth. Oh, great. Hold on one second. I got to step outside. Do you mind if I take a call? No problem. Step outside. I call the producer. Ring, ring. Hello, Jenny Jones. Yeah, producer. Yes, I'm at the woman's house. She goes, great. How are her teeth? And I go, oh, they're a tr- they're an absolute disaster. Like a true blue disaster. And she goes, okay, got it. Go ahead, do the test. And so I go in. I swab the test. I send the test in. And, you know, we find out whoever the father is. I can't remember. And then she shows up and I have to go pick her up at the airport for the taping of the episode. And they go, Neil, pick her up at the airport. But then you have to take her to the dentist. We take her to the dentist and she got, I think, thousands. I think it was $10,000 worth of dental work that the show picked up for free. Yeah. Because they wanted her on the show but didn't want her to seem like she was a woman that had one or two teeth and lived in a trailer park, which that, is what this that was when budgets were, were yes. really something that was um, that is incredible to just like think that all TV is going to be like that, to think that to have that happen. And then you'd be like, oh, that's what the rest of my career is going to be like. No, no. <laughs> It's really amazing to think about. All right, let's keep it moving. The next credential, analytics. There's just a couple of things I want to say just to sort of uh, set the scene. Um, the 18th hole, 487 yards, par four, as Matt mentioned. And then the British Open's really hard, right? Is that the truth? The, the, the British Open is usually a hard event. They were all tied at six over par uh, going into the playoff. That, But that's not bad for the British Open. Is that correct? I think that is bad. I think that is oh. unusual. I don't think it's that hard. Um um, but I think the U.S. Open is known as the hard one. Got it. Um, six that. over is hard. That's hard. That, that's uh, Paul Laurie, who, you're right, but the name is Paul Laurie, who won. It came yeah. back from 10 strokes down. That is the largest final round comeback yeah. in PGA Tour history. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. He was I mean, he, he, he had some help, for sure. For sure. He uh, tied for 14th to start the day. Laurie ended up yeah. shooting a 67 and uh, one one at Carnoustie in a playoff. Uh, the next credentials are test of time. It's when we compare this moment against other moments like it. I don't know. I mean, I, I had to Google this. Arnold Palmer apparently in 66 had a U.S. Open uh, implosion. Adam Scott at the British Open in 2012. Greg Norman's 96 Masters. Greg I didn't Norman any of those things. I remember, yeah. Okay. Are there but any other... over the course of a round? That was not in right. one hole, you know? Right. Um, you know, obviously, like, the Patriots coming back right. from yes. 30, was it 35 to 3 to win the Super Bowl? I mean, something like that is insane. But, again, that's over the course of an entire half, not over the course of, like, one, you know, play, right. basically. Uh, ESPN ranked this 13th on their top 25 worst collapses in sports history. The 2003 Cubs, the Bartman moment, which we've already covered on first ballot with David Stassen. That's number 12 for context. 
Um, 2004 Red Sox are, are up there. That's, you know, three, three, zero yeah. loss, which is amazing. I can't even believe that. Uh, the next credential is you mad Rob play my camera on clip here. Thank you so much. I love it when someone's mad about a moment. I would love it if Vanderveld was mad. Uh, to me, he wasn't mad. And that's part of the problem I have with this. It's missing the sort of the Bill Buckneryus ness of yeah. this moment like chris weber famously wouldn't talk about the timeout in the national championship game he was estranged from his college teammates for like 20 years to me that adds like yeah. real gravity to this here's jan vandeveld jvdv as i wrote his initials jvdv yeah. right after the loss you have to remember putting in perspective it's a game it's a game all right it's not you know it's not like uh, life and death or, or whatever you know it's he doesn't he it's i mean it's he's really like it is what it is baby like he's i like the guy i, I like him as a guy but i think that him not being crushed or pissed off hurts this yes. moment it's very french it should be eating him very up inside french, and right? instead he's yes. just like taking it all in stride very french yeah uh i'm trying to think of moments I mean, obviously, like Nick Anderson, I think famously like right. missed two free throws. Yep. Like, like there must be instances of like things where this happened. Like the, I mean, you don't want the person's life to like spiral out of control and be like, oh, we can pinpoint that this was the moment his life went all downhill. But you want a little bit of that. I mean, it helps. It would help for the story. It would help for this moment if someone yeah. was absolutely crushed. But like if his wife left him, like if I could yeah. Google that and see that, I fucking of course it'd be in it. But like, and then his wife left him. Like, come on. Yeah. Um. The the next credential press conference. Uh, any great quotes about this? The There is one. Someone said, I don't know who it was, but I know that they made a little doc out of this. Someone said he could have played the entire hole with his putter and gotten under seven, which is yep. very funny to think about. And then and again, in this sort of like Jan Vandeveld, like it is what it is way, he went and shot a little doc. He went and played this hole at Carnoustie with a putter and on his third try got a six with a putter over the entire hole. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I give him credit for being a good sport. And, and for sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, the next credential, Twitter fingers. Any great tweets from this moment? No, of course not. This is 1999. Twitter starts in 2006 or something like that. So I'm just going to go through some great Matt Goldich tweets. If you don't follow me, you're missing out. At Matt Goldich. After the horrific DeMar Hamlin injury, you tweeted, you can tell Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet are Amazon employees now because they had to go right back to work after someone suffered a horrific injury. That I don't think that was the Demar Hamlin. I'm gonna say I, oh, I took the Demar Hamlin thing very seriously. <laughs> okay, all right. I, what I, I didn't look. Different... I just saw it was this past. Maybe it was another. <laughs> all right, I shouldn't have put. I didn't. That was a different. That was a different. Um... I don't mean to impugn you in that way. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. There was a, there was a, there was another injury. Another. That, oh, I know what it was. It was Tua. It was Tua. Tua. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a different guy. A different guy. A different terrible injury. Yeah. Where you made this joke. Hey, listen. The joke is funny, and it's not about the guy getting injured. It's about uh, Amazon and yeah. Amazon employees. Uh, very good. Uh, the next Matt Goldish tweet: The Patriots have never won a Super Bowl in a season after one of their players murdered a guy. That's true. True. That's another, just a fact. That's just a fact. Uh, another tweet can't imagine Tom Brady would retire after that loss. It would leave such a bad taste in his son's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. 
I love iconic moments that people forget about, and then when they're reminded of them, they immediately know. Like, everybody remembers that Tom Brady, Brady kissed his son on the mouth, but you might go a couple of years without thinking about it. So if you can yes. remind somebody of that, that's, that's a great perfect. comedy movie. That's also it's a per perfect writing there, perfectly written joke. Uh, uh, here's another one. If you think the end of the Kentucky Derby was confusing, now you know how the horses feel about the whole race. Very true. <laughs> Uh, a golf one driving by a golf course always makes me wish I was playing golf and playing golf always makes me wish I was driving by a, a golf course. I later did a stand-up joke about, yeah, that was sort of based on that. That was sort of, yeah, the thing is uh, you see people golfing and you go, oh man, it looks so fun. And then when you're on the course, you're like, ah, I think I probably could have used today better. <laughs> uh, here's another one. You rarely hear about anyone else's Sharona. That's it. That's a non-sports one. I like that you picked that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> one more uh, from January 2nd, 2021. Um, so this is right after the new year. If I want to eat potato dumplings for dinner, that's my prerogative. Yeah, and that one got uh, picked up by um, uh, Veselka, which I was very proud of. Oh, Veselka's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. If you haven't been to Veselka, a delicious restaurant here in the city yeah. of New York. Um, X Factor. Everybody knows what an X Factor is. Matt, do you have an X Factor in this moment that might help it make the hall? I'd love to pitch you a moment for an X Factor. Okay. Jan Vandeveld. That name, it's that is a good Frenchy yeah, Frenchy I think, name. I say, I, you've said it right about half the time. I think it's Jean Van. Jean Van. Even better. Yeah. Even better. I like, I prefer Jean Vandeveld. You think you're making yeah. me feel bad that I mispronounced it? Jean is even better. Jean Vandeveld. Say it right now with me. Jean Vandeveld. It might be. I'm uh, trying to think of another four name athlete that is, you know. It ain't going to feel like that. It ain't going to feel like that when you're saying it. That's the thing about saying Jean Vandeveld. It feels great coming off the mouth. Do you have any great sports names that you love? I mean, for sure, Detlef Schrempf. Good. It's really uh, good. You know, like that was the one that that came uh, to mind. Um, but also, like uh, the Eagles have a running back named now who's pretty good, named named Kenny Gainwell, which is oh, like, and you can't, oh. and you can, in a in a movie you can't make up a, a you can't do back. it. You know, Kenny ah, Gainwell. Kenny Gainwell. Like, you know. What a name. That is a great answer. I also love the name, and I've never known why, but I felt it since I was a child. Clyde Drexler. That that's yeah. just a good goddamn name to say. And yeah. I, I I hated every player that wasn't a Laker when I was a kid. But for some reason, Clyde Drexler had me in a chokehold. Yeah. And now as I'm old, I sort of examine that and figure out, oh, it's gotta be because of how great that name is. Yeah, it's a great name. Great, great name. name. Uh, Matt, I see the clock is almost running down on us. It's time for America's favorite podcast segment. It's called More Important. Matt, I want to give you the opportunity to say something important, something that's important to you, something that would be important for our audience to hear. When we have this platform, both me with this podcast, you and your comedy career now, you with your appearance on this very popular podcast, when we have this platform, this opportunity to say something, we have to say something important to the people. Matt Goldich, what do you have to say? Say something important to the first ballot audience. Well, oh, I'm so sorry, man. Nobody gives a shit about that because it's time for something more important. Matt, I'm about to ask you a bunch of questions. The music's playing. There's a timer ticking down. Matt, I'm about to ask you questions, and your answers to these questions will all be more important than any of the bullshit you were about to make up. Okay. These answers will define who you are as a human. Are you ready for more important? Yes. What is your favorite snack? So boring. A, a chopped up banana with almond oh, butter and raisins. Oh, God's sakes. 
How often will you do that? That's my most common snack. I'll do that probably every day. Oh uh, my god! You, I, oh I love. God. If we're talking junk food, I love a good payday bar, and I love <laughs> oh, even that is a vanilla and, answer to. And, and I love Goldenberg's peanut chews. Uh, I don't like any of these answers. See, this is that. By the by, this is. This is the exact purpose of this segment. These questions are supposed to define who this person is. And you just learned everything you need to know about Matt Goldich. Yeah, most answers. boring guy ever. Holy yeah. shit. Matt Goldich, what's the greatest late night bit of all time? If you if you really want to laugh, go back and watch uh, John Glazer on Conan as the character of Pukes. <laughs> I don't know this, which is a surprise. He's a guy who interrupts the show. His name is Pubes, and he just comes out. He just says Pubes. I'm going to look it up right after this. Uh, we'll put it in the we'll, – if I find it, I'm going to put it in the socials. Oh, so dumb. H-O-F on Instagram at, Bell, at First Bell Pop on Twitter. I realize Very those dumb. should be the same. Matt, we got to keep going. More important, the music still playing, the guitars. What is your favorite sports movie? Oh, Matt. I'm going to give you a terrible – I'm going to give you a sports movie that is beloved by me. It's not the best sports okay. movie, but it's the one I've seen the most yes. times, which yep. is Major League. It's great. It's uh, great. It doesn't get talked about as one of the great baseball movies, but I probably have seen that movie a hundred times. I it came it. out at right the perfect time for me, yeah. and I've I've laughed at it so it's much. so funny. My brothers it. and I can quote the entire Same. movie. So I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I, I can say the, um, the thing that the, like um, – Japanese uh, grounds crew people say like I know exactly what they say yeah. I don't know if it's true Japanese but I know what they yeah. say uh, because I love that movie as a kid you're right it's all those movies that hit in a certain pocket of time and become beloved yeah and by the way same pocket of time uh, I'm gonna give a special mention to the baseball scene in Naked Gun oh when he's the umpire yes yeah yeah, yeah. very good very good uh, Matt Mount Rushmore of Philly athletes Let's do people. I, I mean, I remember. I mean, you'd have to put Mike Schmidt on there, the oh. greatest Phillies player of all time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you'd have to put Dr. J on there. Yes. I mean, uh, just for being iconic and yes. being the great sixer of all time. Uh, they're the greatest eagle of all time. I can't wait. I can't wait. Is, and it, you know, it's tough because he never won a championship but it's oh probably God. brian dawkins he's probably oh the most that's a good one i like that i thought you were gonna say mcnab i like Dawkins. No, i like no, the specificity no, no. Of mcnab was, was mcnab is actually very underrated and people don't remember how good he was at his peak but brian dawkins is probably the most beloved oh, and that. that's a great uh, uh best equal of all time okay let's do uh should we do smarty jones the racehorse no <laughs> i uh <laughs> I mean, I, I, the the honest answer in terms of would probably be Rocky Balboa, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there you go. There yeah, you go. Yeah, that would be a great go. answer. Yeah. A great Mount Rushmore. Doesn't include your guy, Allen Iverson, which, listen. I don't He'd know. be on my personal Mount Rushmore okay. would be Iverson, Embiid, Jalen Hurts, and uh, maybe like, you know. Uh, Smarty Jones. N- yeah, Smarty Jones. <laughs> Nick Foles. I was going to say Nick Foles. <laughs> Uh, who is your favorite? Last question. You've done great so far. Who is your favorite comedy person of all time? It can be a comedic actor. It can be a podcaster. I mean, I wouldn't suggest that. It could be a stand-up. Do you have a favorite comedy person of all time? Conan is definitely a huge influence on me. And the yep. fact that the crossover between Late Night, SNL, yep. and yep. The Simpsons, which are three huge influences. Somebody who covers all three of those bases and mm-hmm. covers them all well, I think, yeah. 
probably um, would probably be right up there. Um, and that's, that's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with that. It's a great answer, a great answer. And now he's doing really well in podcasting as well. Like he's really had a, a tremendous career. You know what? And let me throw on a tie with Larry David because Curb and Seinfeld. There you yeah. go. There you I go. mean, covering great those spaces, yeah. Uh, and that's it. That's the end of more important. Matt, you did okay. great. It was fantastic. Um, the next credential is our cosign. It's time. The floor is yours, Matt. I'm going to ask you, does Jan van der Velde's meltdown, the 99 British Open, 18th hole, does it belong in the first belt hall of fame and why the floor is yours? I think it's the, yes, I think it's the greatest. I would put it number one, the most iconic meltdown in sports history in terms of just watching it and how crazy it is. Maybe not in terms of the magnitude. I mean, you can't compare it to Steve Bartman because of all the hundred years of history, you know, that the Cubs have to do with. But in terms of watching the meltdown itself and not being able to believe it happened, it's, it, it, you know, it, for me, it has to be right up there. Um, It's the fact that like, it's the only thing we associate with John Vandeveld. It's the only yes. thing you would ever know him for. Right. It's the only thing that would come to mind when you said his name uh, makes it iconic. And it and it's an iconic golf moment at, at a period where golf was really, you know. Um, and then just, yeah. I mean, I would induct it. I Is it a first ballot Hall of Fame? Tough. I don't know. Maybe on the second or third. But for me, I, I, I'm going to argue for it because I know that you, I, I have to do everything I can to get it in there against your your uh you know wall of resistance <laughs> it's time for the induction speech here comes my wall of resistance time for the induction speech that's when me and neil i get to decide whether this thing goes into the first bell hall i'm going to take everything matt said into a consideration and it is a great sports moment the the thing i can't get over is as i thought about the other episodes we've recorded it might be the single greatest performance of an announcing crew on a moment that i yes. can think of and again, it's 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 a byproduct of the time that they had, but also the performance is there. The the Jean 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 Jean, the 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 comments on the wife, the the genuinely questioning what he's doing as he's getting the water. The perhaps the finest performance by an announced crew, uh, yeah. and those things really matter. Like I, I will never think about this moment ever again without thinking of Peter Alice. Yeah. Phenomenal truly world class yeah. uh, Peter Alice got a real shot of, of being a patron saint of this podcast uh, somebody that really matters forever as I think about this moment deeper than that I ultimately go I feel like I'm here judging golf I think golf as a sport has to have a moment represented in the first belt hall of fame it's too big it's too big of a thing. Everyone knows what golf is. Lots of people play it. Lots of, you know, for all the people that listen to this that are clearly just NBA people, all of your favorite players go and play golf. Well, not all of them, but sure. a lot of them do. Golf deserves a moment in this. I think the meltdown here is spectacular. It's a human tragedy. Yeah. But John Vandeveld handles it with a plum he is mr cool it doesn't seem to affect him i appreciate him diving into this it's missing a little bit of the car crashness of it all it's missing like some sort of like horrific thing where he flings his club into the thing it's missing like a little bit of the wildness a little he goes ah man you got it's just a game you got to keep it all in perspective there's just like it's missing that extra layer it's missing 
that the the fan in the stands that caught the ball that everyone wants to kill and has to go into hiding. It's missing that little extra little piece. It's missing that little piece yeah. of fun and entertainment. It's it's golf. It's yeah. a golf moment. It's a great moment. I really appreciated talking about it. I really appreciated discussing it on the show with you, Matt. It was a lot of fun to listen to. I'm glad that I know it. I'm glad that I heard the great Peter Alice really fucking give it a old what for. But this moment, as it stands now, not going into the first Bell Hall of Fame. Oh, how do you feel, Matt? You must be crushed. Well, I'm in a way I'm honored. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how often things get rejected, uh, that the, you reject things, but I'm, uh, I feel like I'm in an exclusive club. You're in an exclusive club. Um, you, know what the, you know what the thing is, is I feel like I know you well enough that I can say no to your moment. Yeah. That's what no, I think it's fair. Nice. And I think the thing that would have put it over the top looking back is if he had decided to hit the ball in while it was in the water. 100%. I want to be clear. Every time yeah. I say no, first off, it's very difficult to do. Yeah. But I keep getting told by the people I work with, Rob and Jessica, that I need to do it more often. Uh, you, But every time I say no, some, yeah. we end up saying something that further defines what the first ballot Hall of Fame is. You are exactly right. If he had the audacity to whack that thing out yeah. and there's water and fucking algae yeah. flying through the air yeah. and his shirt's yeah. covered in fucking water, then you're like, no brainer this thing is in. Like you're just missing that extra wrinkle of like a, a drunk person, a lunatic, uh, some crazy event to sort of punctuate this thing. You're exactly right. Uh, th- and by the by, I want to be clear. There's no question this is a great sports moment. It's just, is this thing right for the first ballot Hall of Fame? So there's no question this thing is right. You should watch the moment. It's fantastic. I appreciate you pitching it. It just is missing that extra something in my head. Fair. fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, I, I, someone will have to get a golf moment in there. Yeah, you're right. It's too big a sport. I, I want you to. I want you to think of another one and come back on. You're going to be the golf guy. You're going to be the official golfer of the first ballot podcast okay. universe. I'll think of one. I'll, yeah. Matt, how can people follow you? What can you plug? You're you're striking. Uh, at Matt Goldich on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm going to be doing. If you happen to be in Scotland, which is where this took place. Right. I'm going to be doing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival That's in amazing. August. That's amazing. My one-person show. Amazing. It's the best I can do. Wait, and, how, uh, wait, hold on. On that show, uh, it's a one-man show. Yeah, I'll be doing. It's an it's an hour of stand-up, basically. Amazing. How, how long have you been working on it? Uh, not enough. Not long enough. <laughs> I, got, I got more work to do. So you know uh but a while months yeah amazing that'll be so great edinburgh uh, fringe festival matt goldich thank you so much for being on the show this was a blast my pleasure it's really fun that's it that's the show support matt goldich follow him like his post all that shit strangely matters it does support him we're all we got jessica and bobby arucci are the staff happy birthday to amelia a double rhythm j on the beats rate and review us and come back next week for more first time Oh, oh.